Hey friends, thanks for joining me on this edition of the Law and Gospel Devotional. It's good to be back here with you again this week. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways. And uh, you may have noticed if you followed these at all, I wasn't with you the last week. I took a break and that's not because I was being lazy or just decided not to, but it's because I just got back from the Here We Still Stand regional event that we held in Northwest Arkansas. And so I wasn't able to make one of these videos, but man, it was a blast down there. There was great talks. There was great music. There was great food. There was great fellowship. It just felt great to be with other people celebrating the grace of God. It was a great time, but I'm glad to be back here with you again today as we take a passage of scripture, usually from the upcoming Sunday's lectionary texts, and dig in to find God's two words of both law and gospel to us. So without further ado, let's go ahead and begin that process. As always, before we, we fully get into it, I like to look at the various passages that are part of the upcoming Sunday's lectionary. This is the fifth Sunday in the Easter season. And really, if you could boil it all down, a lot of the passages have to deal with God's love for the outsiders, for people that would have been seen as outcasts, and by extension, our love then for others that are not necessarily part of the in crowd naturally too. So as a result, the Psalm, Psalm 150, pictures the people of God in jubilation, dancing in praise to the Lord uh, because of his great love and his great glory. You have 1 John 4, 1 through 11, that's all about our love for others, being modeled after the way that Christ loves us. And then, of course, you have John 15, 1 through 8, which depicts Christ as the vine and us as the branches. And in that passage, uh, as he tells us, he's the very source for our life and and indeed for the love that we might have for others. He tells us these important things that we can do no things apart from him, that it all comes from him. And that includes our pursuit of the outsiders when we come across them, that God has to even do the work there. And that is depicted for us quite masterfully in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, our focus today. It purely pictures God's pursuit of those that he loves, especially those that don't fit in. We see this kind of thing happening all the time in the life in ministry of Jesus. And so it's fitting that as we get into the book of Acts describing the church of Jesus Christ, that they would do the exact same thing he did, that they would reach out to those who weren't necessarily uh, or who, who were often excluded. So let's go ahead and dive into that. What does it look like when God goes after the outcast? Well, Acts 8 verse 26 is where we'll pick it up. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So I love this picture of Philip sort of being uh, swept up into the mission of God, into the Spirit's work. He's not told exactly why he's being, uh, why he's he's told to go. He's not given a reason for why he's told to go uh, to this new place. But nevertheless, the God knows what he's doing. And uh, indeed, he arrives on the scene and he comes across a eunuch who happens to be reading the scriptures. Now, why would I say a eunuch is an outcast? Well, Deuteronomy 23.1 makes it clear that eunuchs could not be admitted into tabernacle or temple worship. 
So that already made you quite an outcast. On top of this, since he was in Jerusalem attempting to worship, he must have felt the sting of that a little bit, not only being a eunuch, but being from Ethiopia. It would have been clear that at best he would have been seen as a God-fearer, that is somebody who worshipped Yahweh, worshipped the Jewish God, but didn't have all the sort of rights and privileges that came with being Jewish himself. And being an outcast, it's entirely appropriate that he would be reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, we don't know exactly what he came across in Isaiah, but the fact is, in Isaiah 56, Isaiah promises by the, you know, from God that one day God is going to make a way for people like eunuchs and other outcasts to be admitted into his fellowship. Now, I'm sure if the eunuch did read that, he, he probably didn't know exactly how that would take place. And that leads us to what he's reading in our passage today, because... Well, that's going to be illuminated for him by Philip, and it's why Philip was sent there. So how does God pursue the outcast? Well, first thing we see, he, he sends a preacher. He sends somebody to share his word. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Uh, side note, but I just love this picture here. I love the picture of Philip being like, hey, uh, God's equipped me to share the word. Do you need help understanding that word? It's, it's, to me, it's like the posture that a preacher should have. Like, you know, God's called me to share this word. I'd love to help you understand it a little better. And I love the posture of the eunuch, a.k.a. the congregant here who just says, yeah, I, I don't understand it unless someone guides me. Will you help? And there's, so there's just mutually beneficial relationship here. And so Philip indeed begins to expound the word of God to the eunuch. And what does it look like to expound the word of God to somebody, to, to an outsider? Well, it means focusing on Christ. Look at verses 32 and 35, or through, through 35. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, he just happens to be reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, a passage that is maybe the clearest passage about Jesus in the entire Old Testament. It is this wonderful prophecy that no doubt, if you've been to a Lent service or a Good Friday service, you have heard read from out from up front. It is one of the most famous passages in all the Old Testament because it's such a clear prophecy of what God will do in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what does the eunuch say? The eunuch says to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself? or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Folks, I gotta tell you, if a preacher comes, the preacher is meant to do this exact thing. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Why? Because Jesus says repeatedly that the purpose of the book, the whole book, all of the law and prophets, the entire Bible is him. How does God pursue the outcast? He exposes them to the work of Jesus Christ by his word. The preacher is meant to focus on that and that alone. That is the goal, folks. Everything should be tying into the message of Jesus. 
How does God pursue the outcast? Well, the preacher shows how Christ's accomplishment for us are given to us. Look what Philip says, or look what happens in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, we have to infer a couple of things here. Um, there's at no point in this, in this story are we told Philip is sharing um, details about baptism. Nevertheless, the eunuch didn't just come up with this idea of baptism out of nowhere. And so that implies that Philip must have told him, hey, if you want this Jesus for yourself, the ticket in is baptism. Baptism is the means by which God brings you in to the congregation or to the fellowship. It is the means by which God gives you all that Christ has accomplished in living for you and dying for you and raising for you. As Romans 6 says, in baptism, we are buried with Christ and we are raised with Christ. And so the benefits are, have had to have been explained and connected to baptism here in order for the eunuch to suggest such a thing. And so indeed, what do we find next? As God pursues the outcast, the preacher baptizes him into the family of God. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. It's a beautiful picture, just like that. So simple, so quickly, so quickly. The eunuch is initiated into the family of God and made as if he is a true brother or true sister of all other people in the family of God. His whole life, he had been made to feel that he was indeed not that. That was, it had to be the case for a eunuch. But now he's given the same status as everybody else, a forgiven sinner on account of Jesus Christ alone, washed away, all of his sins washed away in the waters of baptism. Now, you might be wondering who this picture is of the man in this slide. Well, that is the preacher Fred Craddock. And Fred Craddock gave one, one of the best sermons I've ever heard about fellowship and about being brought into the family. And one of the illustrations he uses in a sermon is uh, about a baptismal service that he had attended as a young preacher in which the baptismal candidate would go down into the river, get baptized, and then afterwards would come back up and join around a campfire with a bunch of people from the church. And as they gathered around the campfire, then every person from the church would introduce themselves to the new baptismal candidate and say something like this. Hi, I'm Fred. If you ever need carpentry work done, I'm your man. Hi, I'm Sue. If you ever need someone to watch your kids, I'm here to help. And so on and so forth. It went like that. And it was just this beautiful picture of what, what it is, what it means to to receive the forgiveness of sins in baptism, and then to instantly be made a part of the family of God. The eunuch, who would have been separated from all that, is now seen as if he's just as much a member as anybody else. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture for us. And so where do we see God's two words here? Where do we see law and gospel in this brief little story? Well, uh, clearly, the law is shown to us in the very eunuch himself, because if we're honest, if we're real, what the law shows us is that naturally we're no different than the eunuch. Naturally, we're separated from God. Naturally, we don't have any part in the fellowship. As Ephesians says, we were alienated from the things of God by our nature. 
We were running away from God and hostile to the things of God. And so we don't, we don't pretend to be any more righteous than the eunuch, but we recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all need the same redemption that he was given in the waters of baptism through Jesus Christ as well. And of course, that is the gospel, that God has pursued you, yes, you, to declare to you that his son has done all things to admit you into his family and into his fellowship. No matter what you've done, no matter what struggles you have, no matter what failures mark your record in your mind, they, on account of Christ in the waters of baptism, are washed away, forgotten, and never to be seen again by God. And you are judged righteous on account of Christ before his throne. Yes, that is the good news. That is what it looks like when God pursues outsiders. He changes them from enemies into family, into sons and daughters of his kingdom. So brief little law, law gospel devotional today. I hope that's encouraging to you. And I hope that you uh, rest in the fact that you have been pursued and that God delights in calling you his own. I look forward to seeing you next week. God's richest blessings to you.